And I was just like sitting there kind of like, damn, I don't feel very hyped up. <laughs> I don't feel very inspired. I was expecting like a Naruto fight where it was just like KP would be like, oh, I have to grow emotionally in order to beat my opponent. And I feel a lot better now. <laughs> I killed a spider like I wanted to do. Look what I did. Look yeah, what I, yeah. I, well, you know, at the end, then they would have become friends if it had been a real well, Naruto fight. Well, if it was fight. a Naruto fight, yeah. yeah. But like, and I didn't want Uruki to live because I think he's sexy. I'm going to... There, I'm I said it. I'm going to... I walking, said it. I'm walking so far away right now. <laughs> I'm getting up and I'm leaving and this is my house. Listen. One, two, three... Welcome to the Shonen Protagonist, the podcast that puts a little more Gyanbaru into your life. We are rolling. Do you oh, have yes. your notes? Yes, I do. Yes! Literally, my notes are just anime Houston talk, so. Yes. <laughs> we had a very uh, exciting, I would call, weekend, didn't we? we it was uh, positively overflowing with humidity because we were in Houston. Let me tell you that every time that we loaded in, I had, I was double masking the entire time. And every time that we came in, I had to change out my medical grade mask underneath my fabric mask because it was so goddamn humid that I had to change out the mask that was completely soaked. I literally had, like, I could not breathe. It was disgusting. I was sweating everywhere. It was miserable. However, we met amazing people we had an awesome time and we ate some damn good barbecue we had a really good we had some really good barbecue and blueberry cobbler we had (laughs) we had free blueberry cobbler because we begged for it so we're not okay we won't say where we got it from so unless you ask us because i don't want to rat them out for giving us free shit but they were a happy birthday on the side and it was not our birthdays. Just it TV. was not our birthday. Not even You're talking to an Aries and a Scorpio. <laughs> we literally, we did not put like, it's our birthday, give us no, free food. We, we were, were just literally like, please, just like, please, please, please. Yes, we literally appreciate you so much. And also, we don't see this option on the menu. And we really want blueberry cobbler. And it was really good cobbler. Uh, the way Would I you crushed, agree? yeah, the way that yes. cr- I crushed my entire pulled pork sandwich and then ate the entire cobbler and then promptly died. <laughs> Yeah, um, we were tired, but we met some amazing people. Um, shout out to Yasmin, who was our neighbor. You can find her on like Instagram and Twitter um, as spilled underscore chai. She's amazing. Her art is so adorable. So shout out to Yasmin. Yeah, Thank you so much for such, being a great neighbor. It was such a nice experience to have like a really nice table mate for our like, for, like for instance, for me, it, it was not my first con tabling. So it was like, I don't want to call it a triumphant return because I was way <laughs> too sweaty. Um, it was so sweaty. I was sweating all the time. I was sweating so much and I hated it. And I was just like, oh my God, I want to die. Literally. Like, and then I'm, I'm, I'm wearing the double mask, which I'm used to by this point, but like, I'm like not used to it anymore because breathing in Houston without a mask is like breathing through a pillow. So like, it was awful. I felt like 
Joseph Joestar in part two, where he has to put on the mask and climb the oil tower. So <laughs> I'm going to literally kill you. Gamers, it feels like I'm being smelted in the furnace of Minecraft. Shut up. But no, but like seriously, we had a really good time and we're still kind of tired, even though it's been a week now. Um, uh, but we had, but it was a really great learning experience and it just like pumps us up for like the next con and everything. So as, as time goes on and as we get more announcements on like what cons we're going to be like getting into, because a bunch of announcements are coming in, like literally by the day. The fall season. Yeah. The fall season is insane. I also want to give a shout out to, um, at it's CMAC on Instagram and at thistle.designs on Instagram for coming by our booth and being, first of all, super appreciative of my greed art. And I appreciate <laughs> <laughs> And also for giving us amazing tips. Um, and also I want to um, give their other uh, Instagram a shout out, which is Honeystack Studios. Yeah, okay, yeah. That, on that Instagram, yes. Um, it's also at it's Honeystack on Twitter, and I want to rep these guys as much as possible because I'm so like I cannot tell you how kind and wonderful these people were to us. We asked them a bunch of questions, yeah. And, like they were just like they did not have to go as far as they did. Yeah, they they talked to us for a while, and they were so sweet. And it's just an example of when how you kind of let yourself be vulnerable that you can meet some of the truly most wonderful, kind people out there. So I'm really grateful that we did meet them. And I would like you to follow them. I also want to give a shout out to um, Jacob, um, an old coworker of mine when I worked as a writing tutor. And he left us a really nice review. It was like baby's first review. So like it was baby's first review. So I wanted to say thank you, Jacob, so much. We will definitely link the review uh, from his blog. And if you don't follow his blog, um, when we were working together, we would have awesome conversations. Um, He's a very insightful guy. He also had the guts to admit that Tom Bombadil um, was really boring. (laughs) And I respect that. I respect the hell out of that. I, I don't was care. I'm not expecting that. <laughs> okay, but is he wrong? <laughs> the way that would get him shanked in the right circles. Okay, in the right circles, but also he's <laughs> right and he should say it. Okay, like, okay. For those of you who don't know, Tom Bombadil is in the uh, Lord of the Rings, oh but not in the movies. No. It's only in the books. It's book only. Yes, book only, manga only. <laughs> So if you only read the manga, you will know about Tom Bombadil. And the thing about J.R.R. Tolkien is he's so dedicated to world building that he will write the song lyric for lyric for like all of his old folk tunes. God almighty. And so there's like, he literally repeats like, what is it? Old Tom Bombadil, old Tom Badillo or something like that. And it's some Dr. Seuss shit. It's some Dr. Seuss shit, first of all. And secondary, I think it takes guts to admit that you're like, I'm not going to read this. So 
Shut as up. like a liter as a literary guy and being like, no, fuck this. I respect the hell out of it. And thank you so much, Jacob, for looking over our podcast. Jacob, I don't know it. you. I don't know you, but I take a bullet for you. Yes. As it yes. We would take a bullet for you, both of us. We super appreciate you listening to us and for leaving us a review. Anybody else that would like to leave us a review. Puts my hat really out. You want to put you want to put something in the church? Put something yeah. in the tithe. Yes, please. please. Is that how you pronounce that word? Tithe. Yes. Welp, I've been pronouncing Wait, what that. Wait, what? Tell me. Tith? <laughs> I do this a lot. It's okay. I have a I have a religion background and you do not. You have a I New don't. Jersey background. Shut up. Ew. Okay. So fucking mean to I, me. I am so mean. Anyway, thank you so much, Jacob, for your awesome review. We really appreciate you. And thank you so much to everybody who came and said hi to Anime Houston. Thank you so much for everybody who came by and bought our art and supported us. We really appreciate you. Stay tuned. We and will let you know. please come out and see us. We would love to see you, love to talk with you, and we will be handing out free podcast swag. So, so but anyway, that's not what we want to talk about today. I mean, I love talking about myself, but that's not what we want to talk about today. No. In fact, um, today's episode title is not with a bang, but a whimper. And it is about Hunter Hunter and hustle culture. Now, I want to clarify. The episode is titled not with a bang, but a whimper in reference to T.S. Eliot's modernist poem, The Hollow Men. You can look it up anywhere, and we will definitely link it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to clarify that what reminded me of the poem was the concept of... <laughs> wow, we're going to just... We're just jumping right the fuck yeah, in. Yeah, we're going right in. Yes. Um, is the concept of nuclear war in the Khmer Antarch. However, upon further research, uh, T.S. Eliot confirms that this passage, um, which the poem comes from, or from the that the title comes from rather is this is how the world ends not with a bang but with a whimper was not actually a reference to nuclear war and that he would actually never write that passage again but i felt it was very fitting for this episode because we're also going to end up talking about burnout in the manga industry and how it relates to tagashi and his works as a whole so i figured it was very fitting so anyway um, we're going to just kind of jump into talking about uh, Tagashi's past, where he came from, his humble beginnings, uh, his amazingly beautiful and cute, awesome wife, who is an incredible artist in her own right, and about burnout culture in Japan and why we owe the manga industry better as consumers, why we owe ourselves better as creators and consumers and as people in the face of this hustle culture that ends up costing people their well-being and livelihoods so much of the time in our current culture. So anyway, Alexa, take it away. So to start, if you didn't get already, we are going to be talking about today, because we did spoil it in our last podcast, we are going to be talking about the big boy a uh, uh, heavyweight champion, Hunter x Hunter. Hunter or, x Hunter. Or as is a colloquial, colloquial, yeah, I'm not going to try. Colloquially. I'm not, not going to do that word. Anyway, as it is, as it is <laughs> I'm just striking that word from the record. Okay. Bailiff. So stricken. Strike it. Strike your. So stricken. Anyway, so Hunter Hunter. I'm, okay, 
to to re to re to re go into this because I had a whole freaking thing started and I completely forgot. But we I'm sure that we have listeners of all ages here. But when I say that Hunter Hunter is still older than the most of you, I am not messing around. We here at the Shonen protagonists are proud and frankly speaking, hella excited to talk about this. <laughs> yes, we are. Now, to get into the history and it's stretching the line of the early 90s to now. There is some serious history beyond behind the manga and the maker behind the work, Yoshihiro Togashi himself. Much like any media knowledge of who is driving the vehicle makes experiencing the work all the deeper and more colorful, I don't think Hunter Hunter can properly be absorbed if you also haven't picked up some of who Togashi is as a person. Absolutely. Way. That's so true. Seriously. Like, I think I think learning about the author and learning about what they're about, besides, like, the little blurbs that you read in Tonka Bonds or, like, at the beginning mm-hmm. of chapters, like, going on, like, a little Wikipedia journey, when you're, especially when you're starting, like, a bigger work, is super fun. It I like provides, to do it. Yeah, it provides the proper context and especially like I think that people who um, are big fans of Tagashi in general aside from Hunter Hunter think that it's probably a little weird that we are doing Hunter Hunter in front of Yu Yu Hakusho mm-hmm. and I do want to say absolutely uh, we acknowledge um, we acknowledge the roots we acknowledge the roots but we uh, think that in terms of the genre, that Hunter Hunter was more impactful. In terms of the shonen genre, it was more impactful. And it also pertains very much to the theme that we wish to discuss this exactly. week. Exactly. Yes. Like, like you, can't, you can't bring up Togashi without bringing up Yu Yu Hakusho. I love Yu Yu Hakusho. It was like baby's first like teenage anime. Yes. Like while Pokemon was baby's first anime, Yu Yu Hakusho was the first anime where I realized, oh, this is anime. I get what this is. It it's was, from Japan. Yes. It was also like the perfect blend of edgy and humorous, which is what Togashi is known for. He's really good at being he able blends, to tone switch like crazy. Yes. Um, an avid horror fan. Super. I'm sure you have that in your he like yes an avid true. horror fan he loves hr geiger actually shit literally like i didn't so, know that yeah no <laughs> like he he references a geiger's works constantly and like you can see it in a lot of like his artistic style yes his artistic influences and some of his uh, artistic background is really really visible in hunter hunter as like accumulation of his past experience as a mangaka but also, um, like, his what formal art background yeah. and uh, his upbringing by his parents, where he comes from in Japan. Like, who And he also is. the cultural context of the yes. work ethic in Japan. Yes. So all of those things we're going to talk about today. So, like, when you bring up Hunter Hunter, you can't view it in this bubble of, I don't care where this comes from. It, I'm just looking at the, the media objectively. You have to kind of think about the author as well, because so much of who he is is in his work. And you can see this with a lot of authors as well. But even going far beyond that, Togashi... There, there are many people that could pick up series after, like, other authors have dropped them and do pretty well. I don't think that someone could pick up Hunter Hunter and do it like Togashi does. Absolutely not. Except for maybe his wife. Maybe his wife. Absolutely. That's it. That's yeah. it. Literally, yeah. Yeah. So basically, I know you've probably heard about the hiatuses. They are numerous, some long and some extra long. Maybe you've heard about his happy marriage to the creator of Sailor Moon. 
a celebrity wedding That's to end all common. venues in the yeah. manga world. I mean, it's one of those things like manga authors end up shacking up together a lot because they work in the same circles. They have the same like friendships and they, they see each other at events. They also like, I feel like they understand each other in a way that you kind of need a partner to understand you where it's like, you know, this is my passion and this is kind of my life's work and it's very consuming and you kind of need a partner that can understand that in order for a relationship to be successful and I feel like those two mangaka in particular with the amount of success that they had especially could understand like literally holding the reins of their own personal genres yeah really I mean they both um were very uh, essential in defining the genre of shonen and shoujo uh, relatively. And like people like to this day are riffing off their work and being like... Absolutely. Exactly. It's super inspirational. Exactly. Um, we were talking about how um, Tagashi has been cited in so many even modern uh, shonen. For example, the mangaka of Jujutsu Kaisen has said Tagashi was very inspirational and that's like the hot hot new shonen but so so with with also with being married to a mangaka you can also basically literally be like not now honey I have a deadline and they know exactly where you're coming from because they also have a deadline they also have a deadline but yeah so perhaps you've seen panels of his wildly fluctuating content or heard about his old cleanliness habits or that he has, <laughs> listen. That's Quote a unquote. whole. That's a whole rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> or that he holds deep friendships all across the industry. Old and new mangaka like all reference Togashi as being a genuinely good guy. Even his assistants, who are notoriously like assistants, are notoriously underpaid in the industry. And Overworked and underpaid. Yes. Um, we will link this book in the show notes. And while we were doing our research, it was very hard to find any links that were not broken from the fact that they were referenced so old. Yeah, because like um, stuff from like 2003. Yeah, exactly. And we're like, fuck. Yeah, damn. it was really hard to find things that um, hadn't moved websites. The link wasn't broken. What or was wasn't, on an old web ring or something. Yeah, it wasn't from an old web ring or also wasn't like an actual physical book. But there is a physical book um, that I could not find a physical copy of in time. But it is written by one of Tagashi's assistants. And he has a reputation for being a very generous man for his assistants in terms of workload and limitations, which is fantastic because... Um, we're going to talk about it more later, but assistants are notoriously underpaid in the manga industry. So he is, kind of pays yeah. them accordingly in terms of like, you know, I get it. You're underpaid. Take a break. Yeah. 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 He's 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 very sweet to them to where they have nothing but good things to say about that, about him. And that's very sweet to hear. Because it's one thing, it's one thing to be good to yourself, but good, being good to the people that are under you is also very sweet. Absolutely. It's kind of like, um, I mean, I'm going to talk about this more later because this is more of what I'm Mm -hmm. going to talk about. But, you know, it's so important to take care of yourself so that you can take care of others, Mm -hmm. you know. So basically all of these are key facets that make this man a curiosity, even in the world of curious customers that make this art for us to consume. 
So referencing his very early life, Togashi's parents own, they actually still own and operate a paper store. Yes, you can actually still visit this store in the what province of Japan? Uh, Yamamoto, I think. Yamamoto province of Japan. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Yes. Um, Um, You can still look it up on Wikipedia. It's super accessible. Yeah, it's very cute. Like the very, very uh, uh, classic storefront too, which is like adorable to see. Yes, absolutely. So basically our little manga artist started drawing manga unofficially in high school, you know, as goofs, which a lot of mangaka do because they're like bored in class and they want to draw it or whatever. Absolutely. And he, and in high school, he joins the fine arts club. Uh, um, and then he goes to college and actually wants to be a teacher later in life. That's what he goes to go and do. Um, it's funny because so much of his manga relies on a young protagonist being put under various people's wings to learn about many, many different subjects. Togashi really enjoys going on info dumping tangents about everything from geography to political upset, wow, game it, rules, history. It's almost like he has ADHD. Yeah. <laughs> He goes into things like, I mean, if you've seen Hunter Hunter, which I hope you have if you're listening to this episode. He goes, if not, he does please like, watch it. Yeah. Yeah, please watch yeah. it. Yeah. But he like does like a whole antiques roadshow tangent where he's like, and this is how you identify. Oh my God, you're right. Like, like <gasps> he really, and like cooking and like all this other stuff that like does, it doesn't have any bearing, but it's like really interesting to listen to and read about. Yes, um, and it doesn't have anything to do with the protagonist going. Yeah, like no. he's just experiencing it secondhand. He's just like I'm he's a getting boy. info dumped. Yeah, at. I'm he's twelve. Just like, and I, what is this? I'm like I'm twelve. I'm gonna learn about how to hide like jewelry in this old statue. I'm gonna eat spider eggs. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> And you don't even know the internet exists you until the even... end of season one. Oh my god! You're just like I'm gonna go Google that, and you're like, huh? Yeah, I fucking Mick lost it. We'll talk about anyway. We'll talk about it later. So, ironically, another OG artist, Araki, i.e. the creator of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, also really Legend. enjoys doing this. And what I wouldn't have given to be a fly on the wall to see them, like, communicate because they're clearly, like, clown to clown. Clown to clown communication. <laughs> like, I could totally see Araki being like, and this is a Madagascar spider that I'm learning about. And so and then Togashi is like, I'm totally going to name a character after a screeching cockroach <laughs> from Madagascar. But importantly, I think that like while the, these things may not have any quote unquote bearing, they add worldview, especially to the younger, the younger like children that are reading this. Um, this is less so with Togashi's work because now we have the internet and and like things are much more connected on like you know a world stage type thing. But like with Araki and like part three especially and how he would go into like because it was like an around the world in eighty days story. Um, not setting your work in Japan and not setting it in a fantasy land and being like, no, we are going to this place and I'm going to talk about it for three pages and just go into history and geography and cultural stuff about this place in a, in a fight manga is insane. Legendary. And Togashi also does this because he's just like, I clearly want to do this and I don't care. Which his approach to things goes from this all over his work. Yes, but also he does it with such confidence that you can't help but take it at face value. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you just kind of accept it. Um, I don't know about any of you other people that watched Hunter Hunter, but I was under the impression this is like, it's kind of like that Naruto phenomenon where you're like, okay, like Naruto is a feudal Japan anime and also like Hunter Hunter is, especially with the intro that ends up being Nyx later on where it's like, 
hunters. What do they do? Collect treasures from all over the world. And you're like, okay, this is set in like the 1400s or something. Okay, yeah, like it's clearly a fantasy anime. And then at the end of season one, KP is like, I'm going to Google it and hop in a Mercedes and head to York, New City. And you're like, what the fuck? And then in Naruto, they're like, oh yeah, like we're going to talk over walkie-talkie and we're going to... We're going to pop this videotape into this VCR. Yeah, we're going to watch a VCR and talk on our cell phones. And you're like, what the Fuck! Then why do you run everywhere? Get up, make a fucking car. Get a get a get a plane ticket. Jesus Christ! Yeah, fucking shit! Holy crap! You ain't learned how to like chakra fly yet, bitch. Literally, like, (laughs) I'm so sorry. We're really losing track. Oh my god! Oh my god! So so back to Togashi. So yeah. Anyway, he goes he goes to college and he wants to be a teacher. And he, and he... Do we know what he wanted to teach? I... Was it art? I think it might have been arts, but whatever. He wants to be a teacher. He has a background in fine arts. Yeah, he wants to teach. He's he's going, he's doing that. And so he's truly a different breed to start. Because, like, fine arts people are just kind of, like, detached from the social dogma. I don't know if you've met a fine arts person, but they're just, like, Carmine. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) But also, they are like high key some of the coolest people. They are I've really cool. Ever fucking met. I feel I feel like very like like I'm out of my depth whenever I talk to like a fine arts major, and they're like, I'm making a giant oil painting the size of a hippopotamus, and I'm just like, I'm here with my iPad, being and, like, I draw anime. Did you? See? But also, <laughs> it's hyper realistic. In any way, yeah. So, in, yeah. T- in the context of Tagashi's to, fine yeah, arts, yeah. Yes. So, <laughs> to set the scene, right? He's in college. He's trying to be a teacher. His parents are like are, are supporting him during this time, and he gets approached, right? Yes. And so, like, so has he already submitted his manga work at this point? He had he had like submitted some stuff for like funsies, but he gets approached by Shonen Jump, and basically Shonen Jump comes to him and is like, "Hey, I know that you're like trying to be like like you're trying to like do something and be like a teacher and like." further the lives of children but you know what you want to do instead you want to draw us a comic book can you come draw us a comic book and togashi's like word okay (laughs) (laughs) yes so um there wasn't a whole lot that i could find personally i don't know about you but that i could find personally that showed that Tagashi kind of had his options run out as a teacher. I'm not sure what happened there. You, like, the thing is, is that he's such a cryptid. Um, he's not quite Arakawa level in the sense that you can, like, find pictures of him and know what he looks he's like. He's a pretty private person, But basically. he is ultimately a private person, yes. And so I feel like you can't really um, say for sure what he went through. But it seems like something ran out for him in the terms of becoming a teacher and he was just like word okay like you said where he was like okay i can um, do this i did this back in high school yeah and I'm, I'm only I'm gonna better give now. this a try so basically shonen jump approaches him and he does a couple of small like one shot uh things that get uh totally compiled into like small books during this time yeah and then he starts his first big series which is yu Hakusho. And which is literally Poltergeist Report. And I mean, I'm sure that a lot of you have heard about Yu Yu Hakusho, but it's like a delinquent anime that turns into like a supernatural anime and kind of goes all over the place with like themes and like shit going on. But the characters are really good. But what it really does. That's a Tagashi trademark, to be quite honest. Yeah. And like like four, four dudes 
going somewhere and doing some shit. Oh, shit. So there you go. So there you go. There you go. Yeah. So, but what it does is that it it touches upon a lot of, like, early shonen stuff. Because this is, like, the like the early 90s. Um, it touches on, like, a lot of early shonen stuff. And it, and it, I guess, boils down a lot of the things that you see in shonen anime today. I was going to say, I feel like, you know, you and I talked about earlier about how it solidified the genre. Yes. Where, like, the tournament arc that we see so often, like, it originated from Yu Yu Hakusho. And there were other tournaments, but Yu Yu Hakusho like solidified like the tournament like, arc as a shonen genre yeah. staple. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. How did Shonen Jump perceive it in terms of wanting to serialize it? Was it a Demon Slayer situation where they were like, We want this to be long running and he said, Fuck you? There there's well, a, not necessarily fuck no, you. No, but like but there was there was a lot of things that he wanted to do, but you could see that he by the time It ended very abruptly. Yes, by the and time that's what I want to he address. got to yes. uh, a certain arc, which is basically the Demon World arc, you could kind of smell that he was done. And mm-hmm. like he had said the things that he wants to say and he had done the things that he wanted to do and Yusuke like in general like like had grown enough as a character, so he just kind of petered out and like wanted to finish it. And honestly, by this time, and this is just me conjecturing, so I can't, like, you know, tell you what he was thinking, but by this time, by the end of the... I, I'm sure that he was already working on Hunter Hunter in his brain. Because... There's uh, no way you could just no. make Hunter no, Hunter. No, no. Yeah. I'm sure he was already... So he was probably really eager to start his next big project because he did have a series in the middle of, of these two big things, which was called Level E, but it only ran for two years. It was like 95 to 97, and it was a gag manga, like completely different, about uh, an alien that shacks up with a dude, and they just basically like jerk around and like have adventures, and and, and the alien, you know, does that fish out of water thing and causes problems for the dude. Are they gay? It it was very gay. Yes! Um, So so it actually got an anime really recently, and by really recently, I mean like 10 years ago, but like... Recently, in the sense that it was a manga that run, ran from 95 to 97 and got an anime in 2011. And I'm like, who is this for? I was so, excited. So it was. So are you telling me that like level E and the second installment of Hunter Hunter coincided? Yeah, basically. So it wasn't the 1999 version of Hunter Hunter. No. It was the secondary version. Yes. See, I have never seen and or watched beyond the OP slash EDs of the 1999 Hunter Hunter. So I don't know anything about, like, I'm assuming it starts the same as the 2011, but where it ends. The pacing is a lot slower, obviously, because they they don't have as much to work with. They were trying to stay on pace with Tagashi's uh, output, which is notoriously slow. Exactly, exactly. And I say slow honorific, by the way. I do not mean slow derogatory. Weekly weekly installments for manga are freaking insane to me. And I think that a lot of pacing issues in a lot of manga these days would get fixed if they were bi-weekly or monthly. So basically... Well, he does level E and then he starts Hunter Hunter in like 90, uh, 98, I believe. But anyway, dates, dates aside. So during this time, he takes his fine arts background and he applies it a lot in like creating manga to where he uses a lot of different stylistic choices. Even in Yu Yu Hakusho, you can see this to where he does like a lot of interesting architecture and rendering styles and ink brush styles. 
And you can see this reflected in the anime to where they have like a lot of different stylistic choices that still get posted in Sakugaburu threads like Wait. to this day. Okay, so I have a question because we were talking about the trademark inconsistency in output quality with Takashi mm-hmm. in terms of like the hyper-realistic chicken mm-hmm. and <laughs> the under-rendered dance party, which we will absolutely... When I showed you the chicken and you just went to space. <laughs> yes, so we will link that image in the show notes so you can see what we're talking about. The but chicken is like, like when we, when you think about Togashi and inconsistency, the image of the chicken should be the di- di- dictionary <laughs> definition of yes. what we're talking about. But so did he experience those same kind of inconsistencies with Yu Yu Hakusho? To a point, but he was also a much younger man. So while he's had... Um, while he's Also had, much less clout, yeah. I'm going to... S- to guess. Yes. Yes. Because Yu Yu was his first big series while he had been working with Shonen Jump before. Yu Yu was huge. It had a huge mega popular anime. It had also merchandise trademark, like freaking crazy. It also trademark in LGBT representation. And also Hunter Hunter is. That's another episode we're going to talk whole, about. That's a yeah, it's a whole other episode, a whole other topic. But I feel like it just, in general, was so groundbreaking in so many ways in defining the genre, in representation and marginalized groups, in its variants. Character studies. In character studies, in artistic representation and styles. Like, the variants and the general sphere of Tagashi's range like, if he did one of those range memes you see on Twitter, it would be like, God damn! We will, we will be know? linking some examples that I have picked out of his various, yeah. like, ups and downs. Definitely and check them styles. out. Like, he... The man is insane. He's insane. So the, to where, when I watched Hunter Hunter, and I watched the 2011 version most recently, but I've also seen 99. When I watched Hunter Hunter, and I saw certain scenes, I was almost disappointed just because the manga, I was like, oh my god, or whoa, because of how good he, good of grasp he has on things like composition and rendering, uh, conveying a voice with your art. Like, and this comes from his fine arts background. Um, he Absolutely. even He even makes a point to reference many, many famous uh, art styles and paintings and artistic movements with his uh, covers and a lot of his shot composition in the panels of his work. Yes. Um, it's very funny, actually, to look at the varying volume covers of Hunter x Hunter. A good way to, like, uh, speed run that is to look up Hunter x Hunter at your local library and you can see... At a glance, the variants of covers. Here is a beautiful And I'm also painted. standing in your local library. Yeah, uh, go to your library. Go to your library and read some manga. Reading because is power. They deserve it. Reading is power and reading manga is power. But anyway, variable yes. art style is a gift um, for someone who also fights with a variable art style. We all do. Yeah. Yes, every artist will say, oh, my style's not consistent. But Tagashi has taken it and ran with it. Exactly. Yes. But basically, I wanted to get to the fact that, like, even though he started in this completely different, like, area of, of study, he still took the things that he learned and applied it to his new pathway in a way that was not, quote, unquote, wasting what he had learned um, and made a much more different work and a more exciting work because of this stuff. 
especially in an area of time to where getting these getting these types of experiencing and referencing these types of things is definitely more of a like a post shonen thing to do um like yeah like, uh, jump series that are running right now love to do this kind of stuff but Back in the day, it no. was very groundbreaking. Yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Like, like freaking... He's so ahead of the times. Yeah. He, yes. That's the thing. He really is like a decade ahead with how he operates. With yes. many, 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 many things. With how he treats his art. With how he treats his writing structure. His characters. His characters. Yes. Absolutely. All of it. Absolutely. All of it. I completely agree with that. So, um... Basically, with Hunter Hunter, I'm saying basically a lot, but with Hunter Hunter, <laughs> he had started to make it in 98. And right after that, he gets married to uh, Naoko Takeuchi, who is the creator of Sailor Moon. And Most people know this. Yes. It's very common knowledge, or at least like. People seem to idealize it a lot. Would you agree with me on this? Yeah, it's sort yes. of fairy tale. It's very fairy tale, especially when you know what Togashi was, especially like during this time in his life. During this time in his life, you can pull up a lot of these old photos. They get passed around as jokes, when which he, we will link. Which yes. we will link. But you should Togashi look at them. Ran a very bachelor type of life before getting married. <laughs> very like, gremlin. And when I say bachelor, I mean like a filth area <laughs> he there's a famous image of him on the ground like okay you know in anime when they go to the like the when they win Green island yeah when, when they win yeah when the they game. go to, but like no but yes. like in general anime, anime when they go to the hikikomori like 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 den and you see the den you're like oh it can't be that bad for real it's bad it's that bad for real it's that bad. but even in his own anime he created a character to poke fun at himself that was an extension of himself that was an extension yes. of himself and it's like here is this like weird dude that made a video game and he lives in squalor because he doesn't take care of himself. And also the main guy's dad treated him like shit and didn't spell his name right Literally. To make an acronym. Yeah, so... <laughs> and, and manga authors during the 90s, I have to say, like, now now too, but during the 90s especially, there was definitely, like, this, like, boys club, like, like I haven't showered in two weeks type... Okay, yeah. but also, I feel like that's super common nowadays. Yeah. That because there is that glorification of overwork. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say that Shonen... Uh, still very much despite the fact that some of the most uh, successful shonen and shoujo um, is written by women full metal alchemist is one of the highest rated shonen of all time okay but also you know we have sailor moon we have inuyasha fuck yeah Rubika which Takahashi. straddles the line uniquely i would still classify it as a shoujo especially with the isekai yeah uh trope but Still, there are a lot of shonen aspects. Yeah. So it straddles the line. Yes, absolutely. And so, shout out to all of the uh, like '90s, early 2000s mangaka women out there because, goddamn, like you went into like what is a boys' boys club? Big boys club. And but so she comes solidified down. Solidified this genre. Yeah, she and comes down off her like her like white horse and is like, "Hi, I am from Clamp." And there's like sparkles and bubbles, and he's like looking up from his pit. Like, yes, like, shut you, up. You, so that's why people rom romanticize it 
Because it's like, here, I work in an all-female studio, and we do, and we create. And we fight evil by moonlight, we and do. we win love by daylight. So, so, yeah, it's very it's very Cinderella, but, like, opposite. So, so there you go. So, he gets yes. married one year after publication began for Hunter Hunter. And so, I think that being married to a similar mind who was also, like, in the pits of the Sailor Moon, like, like explosion because the anime was running at that point um yes, helped shape him yes. and also probably brought, brought a, him out of the slump of being a mangaka in the 90s um especially considering that his wife could literally go treat your women better in your manga holds a gun, <laughs> holds up, a to gun up to him yes but like he steps up his women character king for hunter hunter Talk about how burnout plays a role in not only the manga slash anime industry, but also kind of in our own lives as not only creatives, because obviously that's a pretty common stretch to say, oh yeah, as creatives, uh, burnout is very common, but also as humans in our own lives and our own pursuits and our own mental health, quite frankly. But I kind of wanted to bring this up within the context of Hunter Hunter specifically and Togashi, because if you know anything about Hunter Hunter back in the day, I say back in the day because I haven't seen this in the wild in a long, long time, but back in the day, people used to jokingly call Hunter, Hunter hiatus, hiatus. Do you remember this? I certainly do. Yes. Like, like this was like to the point where we would use hiatus, hiatus instead of Hunter, Hunter, just, exactly. just talking about it. Yes. So of course, I feel like you can't talk about Hunter, Hunter without bringing up the fact that it went on hiatus constantly and has been on its second longest hiatus to date since 2014. I even saw a post that I shared on our Facebook page about how it's only like a week away from going a thousand days on hiatus. So it's been a while. And as most Shonen fans know, Tagashi has cited numerous health problems as the reason for this spotty output, including lower back issues, specifically, and other undisclosed health problems. It's kind of crazy to think about how fans have received his health problems because some people have gone so far as to say, oh, he's faking his health problems. People have called him lazy a lot. Yes, and it's like, why? Do you know how much? Um, there's some definite stuff that we're going to link in the show notes about, like, how, like, the, the kind of insane schedules that uh, mangakas have to deal with about Tagashi. And, of course, people do because everyone has an opinion about everything. But 
There is one thing that Tagashi has done that many of his peers have either not done or not been allowed to do, which is take a goddamn break. This is a natural segue, okay, into the horrific issue that is plaguing the manga industry and causing such intense burnout that it causes literal death. So to provide, I feel like, in order to provide a proper understanding, the proper context of understanding Hunter Hunter, and also um, outside of that, it's place like contextually within the shonen genre, what it did for the genre, and what it stands for in the history of manga, uh, as also as the life works of Tagashi, it's imperative to look at the issue of burnout within the manga industry and take the lesson into account for our own work ethic. So please be advised that um, on the topic of burnout, this content can get a little heavy. So I want to include a trigger warning for health issues and premature death because that comes up a lot within the sphere of burnout. And also there's spoilers, of course. So uh, please be advised if you haven't finished the series yet. And I hope you do because it's a lot of fun. If you have read the manga or um, watched any anime or listened to J-pop in any capacity, then you're probably pretty well aware of the mental and physical health problems that plague the industry and it's insanely unreasonable and high pressure deadlines so in order to understand i feel like we need to like come to a collective conclusion about like what is burnout right people so, people throw around the the, the terminology a lot. a lot but like yeah. it does have a real scientific definition yeah exactly so what is it so um i went digging and the world health organization has only recently uh, and by recently i mean 2019 so pretty fucking recently yeah has begun to study burnout and the effects of it so uh, a lot of the physiological and the psychological effects of burnout are still largely unclassified. But uh, according to the WHO, burnout is included in the 11th revision of the International Classification of Diseases, the ICD-11, as an occupational phenomenon. It is not classified as a medical condition so it's defined in the icd-11 as follows burnout is a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has been successfully that has not been rather successfully managed it is characterized by three dimensions one feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion two increased mental distance from one's job or feelings of neg negativism. negativism or cynicism related to one's job and reduced professional efficacy, which I feel like is a big one. Burnout refers specifically to phenomena in the occupational context and should not be applied to describe experiences in other areas of life. 
Which is crazy to me because a lot of times um, how I hear the word burnout used is when someone's like, I'm socially burnt out. That's true. Um, although I feel like you could distinguish the two. Mm. But it's it's interesting to think about how it's already kind of evolved into its own term aside from the this, World Health Organization. From this term. definition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From a science, like a quote unquote medical Medical definition. journal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting to see that. Mm -hmm. But since this is a particularly ugly problem within Japanese and in general Asian work culture, the Japanese have an actual word for this that literally translates to overwork death, which is called karoshi. And in 2016, over 745,000 thousand deaths worldwide were attributed to overwork and you can only unfortunately assume that this number has gone up it is a prevalent issue to the point where there is a whole wikipedia page on the term karoshi and the first death uh like overwork death was attributed in japan in 1969 to the death of a 29 year old man so like 29 years old kind of hits home because that's how old i am and thinking like oh you know imagine me at my age working so hard that i literally die yeah literally keel over that i literally just fall over and die drop dead um that was working for quote japan's largest newspaper company and i don't know um a whole lot about Japanese journalism, but from what I do know, that means he probably was working for either the Asahi or the Yomiuri. And it came out um, as a more publicly spoken term. Uh, The term karoshi came out during the quote-unquote bubble economic phase that we discussed in the last episode about Japan. Um, that was kind of in the, what was that, the, like the 80s? Yeah, it was general. like the 80s Early and 90s. Mid, okay, yeah. So like the 80s and 90s, uh, quote unquote, bubble economic period. Now, obviously, like the historical context combined with the World Health Organization's definition, there is even now, scientifically, still so much that we don't really understand about burnout slash karoshi and frankly i don't think um that we as humans really have enough perspective to look back on what essentially is the beginning of late stage capitalism if that makes sense Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and our world's history to really properly contextualize it i'm sure that later on we'll be looking back at this time and going what the hell were we doing this was so barbaric yeah yeah absolutely like the wait income determined whether you were given shelter and food and- literally we're going to be looking at this like like we look at 1920s like ford assembly lines going what the hell were people doing yeah what's wrong with these people mm. uh it's like feudal right mm-hmm. um but anyway cross-culturally i feel like it we've become aware enough of burnout and we've seen enough of it uh, in our own families, in our own lives. We've felt it enough that we 
maybe have taken a page from the book of Tagashi and kind of rejected that hustle culture that has literally claimed the lives and health of so many around the world. And in the context of burnout and Hunter Hunter being on hiatus constantly, the man is, I would say, an anomaly. Because he's like, I have health problems and I'm going to take a break. It's been analyzed to the point where there are even like charts of people being like, okay, here is how many times Hunter Hunter has been on hiatus slash how many times it's been published. And again, like marked out in different colors and stuff so you can yeah, see it. Yeah, it's, and I mean, it's fascinating stuff, but. It seems like it comes from a place of demanding that it comes he from make pl- more. Yeah, it comes from a place of selfishness. It, it feels like it, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, we should use this to pressure him to continue making Hunter Hunter. Interestingly enough, you could argue that the shift in thinking about, like, hustle culture and burnout and Karoshi is applicable and is reflected in particularly his manga and the subsequent anime adaptations, particularly in the evolution from like a classic shonen to a post shonen show, which uh, we do want to discuss in more detail in the next episode. Um, we which, will we will clarify what classic and like, post yeah mean. what it means. Um, and that, but that is literally another podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Hunter Hunter, I feel like out of all of the uh, mainstream quote unquote classic shonens that people think of, it uniquely straddles that line in between because it is one of the shows that was, I guess, privileged enough to get two adaptations because if you know anything about Hunter x Hunter, it had two anime series, the 1999 version and the 2011 version. Mm-hmm. But not too many anime get the opportunity for a do-over. It's very rare. Uh, even more rare is the do-over going farther into the material and then still not finishing, which is what you have with Hunter Hunter. Like, it did not finish twice. The the thing that we want, because we've talked enough about Togashi and we've talked enough about his background and we've talked enough about how he conceptualizes burnout and how it's it's so near in his life. And, And we've talked about how cyclically he's also responsible for people... Like, not only being inspired by his work, but being inspired to take a break. Um, But what we're going to talk about now is we're going to talk about how his protagonist in Hunter x Hunter, Gone, is the perfect example of everything that we've been talking about this entire podcast. Yeah, it's really interesting, 100% in his work. Obviously, Hunter x Hunter is unique in the sense that it kind of seems to straddle this line between shonen and post-shonen. I feel like Hunter x Hunter is like in this kind of in-between space. Gone himself doesn't grow much aside from growing stronger physically, right? Yeah, he just gets bigger over the series and he gets physically stronger. He becomes stronger, like there's no doubt. He demonstrates this emotional bullheadedness, needing to get stronger and that focus. And Gone's goals 
um, to become stronger are inarguably selfish. Um, even characters as recent as Deku, where it's like, you know, the cornerstone is serving others. But Gon literally is just like, I want to meet my dad. That's it. I'm gonna go through this thing. I don't this care exam what I where, have to do. Yeah, I'm gonna get this license where I can literally fucking murder people, but literally I can find my dad, so it's fine. What happens as a result of this to Gon? Like, Tagashi does not let him off easy, right? Like, he experiences actual consequences. Like, he loses, he loses his humanity in trying to become stronger physically only, right? He um, superimposes these monsters, right, who, in comparison to him, seem and feel more human, right? Like, it's a very common topic of discussion regarding the Chimera Antarch that the juxtaposition between the ants and Gon is that the ants grow to be more human while Gon becomes more monstrous. And the thing is, if Gon had focused on becoming stronger emotionally, would he have actually fallen in the same way to this extreme power? Would he have nearly died trying to get that extreme power? And I think about that scene all the time where Akilo is like, oh, Gon, you are light. And it's like, that light transforms into something very destructive and hateful and hurtful, right? Um, well, first of all, uh, people seem to have mixed feelings about the Chimera Antarch. That there are people who think it's, like like me, some of the best anime out there, and then some people that are like, it sucks. I hated this, and I never want to see it again, like, level. I totally understand why you would dislike it. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, entirely fair to those people, because, I mean, it's very upsetting. It's but super upsetting. But I think upsetting. that... The thing that I don't like is suffering that seems pointless. And the ending really sticks the landing for me. That's the thing. Like, none of the suffering was actually pointless, it felt like. At least to me. It was purposeful. Yeah, like, it was a really brutal depiction of, like... War. War and the reality of the world and kind of the... A fragile position of survival that humans are really in. But there's this kind of new hope and life, like how that one girl who was the daughter that was killed. I, you know, I, not the not the one that became cult. No. Um, but the but his sister or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, who actually like was embraced back home as the uh, woman's aunt? daughter? Yeah. No, like, as the, as the daughter. Well, yeah, but, like, as an aunt. But too. as an aunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Like, I thought that was so sweet and touching. And beautiful. And, of course, like, um, Kite being reincarnated, basically. God bless. Yeah. I just thought that there were so many good things about the ending that actually gave you hope. Really, like, it's a very poetic it's very poetically done yeah and which goes to show i was so ugly crying i was so glad i was watching it alone because nobody's allowed to see me like that i was but it goes (laughs) to show that togashi knows what he's doing and has a handle on like 
characters and depiction of characters. So a lot of people, when we talk about Gon and they go, that's not what he intended. This is exactly what he intended with Gon's character. Who says that he didn't intend for Gon? No, I've read it. I've read it like a million times. They're like, no, Gon's just like the shonen protagonist and you're supposed to root for him. And I'm like, no. Absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. You are supposed to be terrified by what he's doing. Literally. He's absolutely portrayed as... A monster in people, the Camarion People arc. are looked. People start looking at him funny arcs before, I, and you I, really you do feel for him initially because you know he starts crying like you know why can't I be stronger? It's so frustrating to you know see yourself at point C, but you're only at point A, and like that made me emotional because I fe- I felt that frustration in my own life. Of course, that's a very human emotion, and I think that's why people push themselves towards burnout. Because they, they feel yes. frustrated and they go, you know what? I, I know my Why limits. Why am I not here? I know my limits. I know what I can do. And they end up hurting themselves. And there you freaking go. Think about the fact that Kilua, who can literally transition from being like a cold-hearted killer to a little boy, can he can compartmentalize those things. And he has... The he has the ability to connect with people Kilo and keep king that of emotional maturity. And but he can like keep that humanity, right? Like his growth in stark contrast to Gone's is based upon forging his connections with Gone. Anyway, the burnout that we're talking about and how Gone like basically literally burns out by like exploding he, and then he internally and externally explodes in the worst way possible. Right, but I think that, like, in relation of the scene where he's like, oh, I'm so frustrated, why can't I be stronger, you know, seeing yourself at point C or whatever, mm-hmm. and then that burnout that he experiences and that culmination of all of his unresolved emotional pain he and has trauma. so much. Um, if we're being quite honest, because that is the, uh, that is the nature of burnout, right? It's when your emotional... Um, needs have just been so neglected and your physical needs are just so exhausted, right? Yeah, you just end up spiraling yeah, into this. Yeah, but like, he, it, like, becomes this fucking weird-ass guy with super long hair that's, like, eight feet tall and a 20-pack just a big, like situation. Yeah. And I'm just, like, this is hilarious. I, like, again, I just started laughing because I was like, how am I supposed to take this gun seriously? But it's kind of, like what he pictures i think that it is ridiculous because it's kind of like how realistic is the expectation that you have for yourself when you do get to that point where you would consider yourself strong enough quote uh-huh. unquote what right like well yeah i'd have big muscles and like you know i trained super yeah. hard and so that's how i would look and like op as fuck like just like ridiculously uh-huh. op uh-huh. and it but it feels laughable because it's not realistic and it's not gone, you know? Mm-hmm, it's and he literally almost dies assuming that form. And I feel like that is such a, I don't want to say tender, but it's a very emotional depiction of burnout. Yeah. Because it really makes you feel like awful for awful people. Because again, like a lot of people felt bad for p2 even though they absolutely unequivocally did deserve to die but you feel really like you feel bad for them and you're just like how did i get here how did i feel bad for the ants 
and I'm really upset at Gon. When technically he's achieving a goal. He's doing exactly like he what he thinks, came out to do. Yeah, he thinks he's actualizing in that moment, but he literally almost dies and loses complete control. And I was so, when I was rewatching it, I forgot that Kilawa was even there because I was so caught up in the, in, like the memory, my memory of the scene was so caught up in the fact that Gon just goes fucking insane. I didn't realize um, that Kilua witnessed it because I just completely forgot that he was there. And you have to understand too that like after Gon does this thing and after Gon like like actualizes what he thinks that he wants and and does the thing, the only way that he is able to recover is through support. Yes, but it's just like I guess that what makes it more upsetting that Kilua is there is he's literally losing. Um, his grasp on reality and Kilua really is like his tether, right? Yeah. And it also shows like how deeply Kilua was hurt and upset by seeing Gon in this way, right? Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we also seem to not take into account how when we don't take care of ourselves, we end up hurting the people that love us. Yeah, the people around us. It's not only hurting yourself. It's, it hurts the people that care about you. Yeah. And, and it damages your relationships with them. When you get consumed by burnout, it it's, you know, it's not in a vacuum. It happens to your world around you. Worse in this situation. But I feel like the fact that we do feel bad for P2, despite the horrific uh, murders of... A lot of, of people. Of a lot of people, not just... A lot of, of innocent people. And, like, of course, like the horrific transformation of Kite as well, like becoming basically a puppet. Like that's so fucked up. It's so messed up. But you still feel bad. And I feel like that says everything that we need to know about how Togashi is portraying Gon's transformation in that moment Mm -hmm. and that brutal death of P2. Mm -hmm. So like Gon ultimately does lose that shred of humanity because he begins asking Kilo like, why would I grant mercy while they are healing uh, Kogumi? Yeah, tell tell me. Why should I fall for this idiot? Why should I trust sincerity over being the strongest? Why should I grant mercy when we have been wronged so deeply? I think that if Gon had actually stayed connected to himself, he would see and understand where Kilua was coming from. Yeah, exactly. He would be able to understand because there would be that piece of humanity within him. He and again, Kilua is a fucking assassin, and he still has enough mercy, Kilua enough made humanity. The call. Yeah, he has enough mercy to realize that this is like that P two. This was, is a delicate situation. Yeah, that P two was hurting, and also the life of a little girl was on the line. And Gon was just like, I don't care because I don't know the little girl. Yeah. You know? That's not my problem. It's the things that he... Well, that's what happens when you get tunnel vision. Yeah. And that's what he has ultimately is just a bad case of tunnel vision. All he wants to do is get stronger so he can find his dad. And he never asks himself why. So then he has to confront other questions like, why should I grant mercy Mm -hmm. in the face of brutality? Why should I hang on to my humanity? And instead, he could have saved himself all of this anguish and suffering if he had just asked himself, why do I want to find my dad so goddamn bad? What, <laughs> but what he do never I want does. besides this thing? Yes. Um, 
you know, I, I'm pretty sure that like a lot of this does come from Tagashi's roots in um, his enjoyment of horror movies. Yeah. Um, but the fight scenes in the and the portrayal of fighting in Hunter Hunter is just brutal. Like I watched Naruto before I watched Hunter Hunter, and so by the time that it got to Kurapika versus Uvagen. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, we're going to get into, like, the fight. Because if you don't remember, they really blue ball you. <laughs> There's, like, you think a big fight's going to happen, and then it fizzles out. Mm-hmm. Um, like, with Krolo and the Zoldigs, I was like, oh, this is going to be uh, good. What the and hell? nothing happened. What the hell? <laughs> I felt, I was just like, I... I'm so upset. I wanted to see them fight so bad. Oh, everyone wanted to see them fight so bad. Ah, but anyway, so when it finally got down and like, you know, it's like, you know that KP and Uvogin are going to fight. And I was just like, I'm so excited. And then he just slowly, brutally punches Uvogin to death. It's really upsetting. It's brutal. It's gritty. It's harsh. And I was just like sitting there kind of like, damn, I don't feel very hyped up. <laughs> I don't feel very inspired. I was expecting like a Naruto fight where it was just like KP would be like, oh, I have to grow emotionally in order to beat my opponent. And I feel a lot better now. I killed a spider like I wanted to do. Look what I did. Look Yay. What I, Yay. I, well, you know, at the end, then they would have become friends if it had been a real well, Naruto fight. Well, if it was a Naruto fight, yeah. yeah. But like, and I didn't want Uvagi to live because I think he's sexy. I'm going to... There. I'm I go- said it. I'm going to... I walking, said it. I'm walking so far away right now. I'm getting up and I'm leaving and this is my house. Listen. I'm still mad he died. Because I'm, I was like, I need my big titty Spider Man. I'm gonna. Anyway. I'm so... <laughs> See, you still get to fight. No, this isn't a fight. This is as much as a fight as a hunter. There's no fighting. humanity. <laughs> anyway, the <laughs> the portrayal of fights are like that in Hunter Hunter, where you're like, damn, this is really brutal and like abruptly violent and upsetting yeah right and um there are so many instances where tagashi really goes ham in portraying gore mm-hmm. like there's a lot of censorship that happened in yeah. his manga in the states because people were like what the fuck this is like straight up a dude's innards we can't show this to kids no yeah so he definitely i think was inspired by horror but then kind it kind of ended up contributing more deeply to the message of his work mm-hmm. for sure um cuz i don't think that he thinks that far in every instance there's no. i think with sagashi he just throws things at the wall and sees what sticks he's like i like this but it but it comes from somewhere yeah it does um, it's like it's- for example the how you know he has so much experience with burnout in his life as well mm-hmm. and so that's what ultimately makes the story of going work even though you don't really like him Mm -hmm. um because there is that experience that tagashi is subtly bringing of the burnout and while digging around and looking for other examples of mangaka who i felt like quite literally burnt out Mm -hmm. um i found a really nice article from a website called anime feminist so shout out to all of the badass babes over there the ladies and ladies out there Mm -hmm. doing the uh doing the good work um and this article is like ultimately a, a call to action in the industry and for its fans to basically you know treat mangaka like human beings and not robots that are just supposed to pump out the content that they want to see all the time. And uh, this article was written 
by Piria Sridhar in 2019. And the sad thing is, even in the time between that article's publication and now other mangaka have also abruptly passed away from burnout, which is really sad. It's it, like it's an epidemic within mm-hmm. this industry. Yes. And um, the article is titled Burnout in Manga Artists and How to Prevent It. And I'm basically like the article was just so good. I'm just going to kind of quote numerous passages um, and obviously link it in the show notes so people can read it for themselves. But it strikes so many chords with me and how it pertains to Togashi. And of course, you can't talk about burnout in the manga industry without talking about Togashi because he is... He's the biggest case of a, a long-form burnout. Exactly. Um, and so you you can't help but bring him up in particular in the conversation of burnout in the industry. So um, Sridhar writes, we should not sacrifice life expectancy for good art. Uh, Urasawa Naoki, who is the author of Pluto, which was which was inspired by Tezuka, who wrote Astro Boy. So you know, like that chain of yeah, inspiration, chain of inspiration goes. Um, you know, he says as much in a conversation in an interview where he quotes Mizuki Shigeru, who is the creator of Gegege no Kitaro, and um, Shigeru outlived many of his contemporaries i think we googled that he lived to the age of 93 which is incredible which is incredible and he is quoted as saying uh, i sleep nine hours a day and look at me now everyone else is dead which is just so freaking metal it's, too. it's not only is it the rawest shit but it makes you feel deeply sad that these people who could have gone on to create another day and you, you know, like we get to miss out on all of that, like as fans of their work, but also they get to miss out on that actualization and that joy that mm-hmm. they get to experience as creators. And that's just very sad to think about. So I won't dwell on it, but you know, that's really fucked. As, and as another oh. note, too, there is uh, another creator that I want to reference with Burnout. Um, uh, uh, his last name is Inoue, and he is the creator of Blade of the Immortal and Slam Dunk, among other manga. And Blade of the Immortal was basically his seminal work and his opus. And during the creation of Blade of the Immortal, he ended up getting burnt out on the story, and he called it and went, no, this hurts me too much to make. It's killing me. And he stopped. That's people, what you should do. And people to this day are like oh my god why why and he and he tried to restart it and he ended up releasing um a bunch of like final material and like like mm-hmm. cutting room floor materials of like this is where i would have went with this story mm-hmm. to like put an end cap on it which is better than nothing obviously but he and he's one of the biggest examples that i can pull up of of a mangaka who is going on creating to this day because he went, no, this I'm is hurting pumping me. I'm the brakes. I'm drawing this boundary. Yeah, like, it's insane. And, you know, like, um, Sailor Moon's mangaka, who is, as we all know, one of the uh, greatest love stories in the manga industry, is uh, Togashi uh, marrying... Takeuchi Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and she was talking about working all the time and how even though Sailor Moon had become massively successful it didn't do anything to alleviate her stress she's quoted as saying I was doping every day to ensure that to endure the tension my stomach was upset and my skin was wearing out 
she was so burned out after working on the last Sailor Moon chapter that she had to take a five-month vacation. And people thought that she fucking died. Like, and it's like, what are you supposed, like, would you want to just sit every day your entire life making this thing? Do you realize that people have to make the thing? People have lives, too. Like, people can't just be creation machines. They have to, not only do they have to experience things to be able to put them into their works, but they have to, like, exist as a human being first. Yes. Yes. And and we owe that to them. We owe that to them. Yeah, like, they're a family, and they deserve the time to be a family as well as a creator. To experience life. Exactly. <laughs> in another capacity. Exactly. We all do. And, and keep in mind, during this time when she was working on Sailor Moon, she was like in her 30s, which isn't She old. was very young. Exactly. Yes. yes. Like she's only in her 50s now, and as well as Togashi. They're only... They're, only they're young. They're young people. They're young people. Yes. And they're just... And, and now, of course, like they both have better lives because they chose to They've be like, drawn I that boundary. Then Sridhar goes on to write... That fandom's expectations for constant creative output is even more noticeable with Tagashi, whose popular series Hunter Hunter has been on and off hiatus for years now. While the exact reason for each hiatus is not always specified, illness and back pain have both been cited in the past. Still, this does not stop entitled fans from accusing Tagashi of laziness or even claiming he is faking his health problems. And if you were one of those people, I wish, I I hope you have a horrible day. Yeah, I hope you have a bad day. Yeah, (laughs) because I cannot imagine being so entitled to think that somebody else should suffer for your 20 minutes of entertainment so you can read another fucking Hunter Hunter chapter. That's just so selfish. And you should be ashamed. It makes me, quite frankly. It makes me sad. Yes, it, yes, I'm sad. I'm sad now. And these demands from manga fans are unrealistic and contribute to the unhealthy work culture because the people who work these manga artists to death are the people trying to keep up with the demands of the consumer. It is a negative feedback cycle, right? Mm -hmm. So we owe it to manga artists to let them take a fucking break. And then we, when we are questioned with how we can make a difference, right, mm-hmm. and try to or contribute to stopping that negative feedback loop, and I hope that ultimately, like, listening to this is a call to action for people to be a little bit more conscious of the way that they consume content and a little bit more thankful for mm-hmm. the content that mm-hmm. they get, um, especially nowadays when it's just been amped up to an insane level so when we are questioned with how we can make a difference and stop that negative feedback loop uh sridhar proposes the following so it turns out that manga artists currently have a union and it's called the japanese cartoonist association and it was founded in 1964 and it was incorporated twice and they negotiate on the behalf of their members for fairer work conditions and also for health insurance um Please give them health insurance. Uh, at, people don't talk about the mental toll or the the physical toll of drawing. And like, first of all, it's really hard on your back. You're sitting constantly. It's hard on your back. It's hard it's on, your, hard wrists, on your, your muscles, your shoulders, your tendons and ligaments, your neck. It like you know if you're not standing all the time, your bones get soft. That's fucked up. Like it real like sedentariness is terrible for the human body and also for the human mind. Currently, the the industry is 
you know, and this union is working to improve conditions, but that's going to take time. So in theory, readers can't really do a lot to change the conditions themselves, but there are always small ways that we can support the creators that we appreciate and the work that has inspired us. And I think that that's really, again, as a part of being a consumer instead of a creator, something that, you know, we should be conscious of. And um, another benefit of the internet, um, if there, if you can believe that there is one, <laughs> um, is to, you know, artists can increase their, their online presence and promote their work. So they may not have to rely entirely on a company that's going to work them to death. Exactly. That's great. Um, you know, raising awareness and mental health and also donating to organizations and unions can help because unions exist to protect workers' rights. And now that Japan has, you know, that has been making progress with this manga union, that number can only grow with support. And and also, and I mean, I, I hesitate to say I didn't even know still, they had a union. Yeah, it's still very raw. Because it's so bad. Yes. <laughs> it's so bad out and there. And it's still very raw, but like with the death of Kentaro Miura and, and everybody kind of oh, waking. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, we can't m- not mention it. And I and, yeah. I and I understand it's a very sensitive it's, subject. Yeah, it's a little too soon. Everybody was like, I mean, the outpouring of love and support for him and his work. We need to roll that right into the people that are still with that us. are still alive. Yes. Um, you know, when I found out about that, I just I hurt so deeply because I can't imagine caring about wanting to finish something so much and then dying before. You it's, get to do it. Yeah. And so then they're Never seeing it completed, never having that satisfaction. Touching the lives of so many the people. The finality of that is just so deeply upsetting. And uh, sorry that this is like a little bit dark. It's a uh, downer. It's, it's heavy. Yeah, it's heavy um, but it's to important. speculate on. It's important to, to make a note of it. And, and hopefully it can be preventative. For later things. I mean, I do hope that in that sense, I, you know, sometimes not every death is justifiable, but in our grieving, we can say that if, you know, this is what had to happen, um, and I don't like justifying a death in that way, but if it can end up contributing to a call to action for people to be more understanding of creators, then I guess so be it. Or, you know, you can, in your grief, try to justify the death in some way yeah. or use it in your own life personally as a wake up call. I, I mean, I think that that's just how humanity is works. Yeah. yeah. It's a very normal. Um, well, I want to say normal, quote unquote, normal way to process grief. Or It's common because everybody does it differently. What I did, I, what I did like is that um, when Gege Akutami took a break, like literally right after this happened, everyone's like, you take all the time you need like it trended on like Good. yeah and it was like and everybody was like you take all the time you need you do whatever yeah, you because want because people want jjk well yeah but i mean it was it was just <laughs> it was nice to see and different to see than and think than about normal. how much that helps um the artists themselves i know that it touched the artist yes i know that they found out about it because you would be worried that people would be pissed at you like people were pissed at togashi exactly yes and it's like he is 
he literally wrote passages about like how he like had to crawl to the bathroom because he couldn't stand up because his back hurt so bad. Exactly. And it's like, how do you expect the motherfucker to draw when he can't even fucking walk? Exactly. exactly. What the hell is wrong with you? Exactly. I saw <laughs> I saw somebody complaining the other day, and this was this was in Japanese, so it's like nobody that I know personally, obviously. But I saw someone complain the other day that they One Piece only releases a few Takabons a year. And then I was like, are you, are you kidding? That's a lot. Literally, are you kidding me? Like, and. and First of all, as a Full Metal Alchemist fan, how dare you? Literally, literally. (laughs) I'm like, what? But so, so. Eat your food and be fucking thankful. Exactly. So like, so you have to understand that with, and this, this comes into education now. Because I see it happen with, like, young fans who don't understand. Because they're like, I'm young and spry, and I can definitely do this and everything like that. And they not only burn out themselves, but they expect burnout out of other people because they don't understand. Well, yeah. It's, again, it's a negative feedback loop. Yeah. It, the ripples of it are felt in so many different ways. But if we all work together and support each other and support people uh, from the sidelines, like, that are, again, you know, higher kind of, up in the chain yeah. than us... That's kind of what we can use the internet for. Exactly. We can actually, you know, the internet can do good things. Like back in back in the early 2000s, <laughs> we couldn't, we personally couldn't help Togashi. But now we definitely can. Yeah, like, you know, you can send well wishes. Exactly. And, and offer support in other ways. And that was kind of what I wanted to get into also mm-hmm. of um, in terms of independent makers, especially... Um, I feel like with the rise of the internet and the independent artist and, you know, the Patreon chapter of independent uh, creatives. Coffee, Patreon, Webtoons, all those people. Yes, exactly. And it turns out that in um, Japan, a good portion of webcomics do exist under publisher umbrellas, but a lot of alternatives are appearing in their country as well. So um, Pixiv, which most people, if you consume... Uh, Japanese content at all, you would know. Pixiv is Japanese DeviantArt, basically. Yes. Um, but way better. And they have, yeah. <laughs> and you can, you can post the, you can, you can, you can post spicy You stuff. can post nasties. Yes. Thank you so much for all of the Japanese artists who drew my kissy books for me. <laughs> Thank you. Also, mom, if you're listening, I don't have kissy books. She has kissy books. No! No! I don't have any kissy books. But there, there are other things, too. Like, for instance, Skeb. They, they have, um, but Pixiv particularly mm-hmm. uh, created Fanbox, mm-hmm. which is basically the their equivalent of Patreon, mm-hmm. which I think is awesome because then we also can just directly pay those people. If we're like, I love this, and I know you worked hard to, I would know you worked really hard to draw this kissy book. Thank you so much. Here is my direct money directly to your wallet. Yes, thank you so much for drawing Greed Incredibly Stacked. I'm I appreciate gonna... you so much. And here is some money. Also, um, with the rise of like a more like global stage, uh, uh, Japan has been dipping their toes into things like Kickstarters and stuff like that. So uh, obviously when those crop up, um, uh, it, like, you know, Check them out and and do your civil and do your and and be like, hey, I want to put my money directly into somebody's pocket. Exactly, that's how you can do it. That's a, that's a very um, pertinent or it's it's a real way. It's not um, performative activism. It's like I'm actually putting my money where my mouth is. Yeah, 
Yes, absolutely. And, and, just, and you may, if you don't have money, if you don't have this, if you yeah, don't have that. Yeah, there are other things you are, can do. There are absolutely. tons of other things that you can do. But I'm just saying, like, if you're like, wow, like, I want to, I want to, I mean, I already bought the books. What can I do now type of thing? Then, yeah. there, then that's what you can do. Um, yeah, that's another thing is uh, definitely, I mean, I understand um, definitely, like, how... Um, like piracy and all that it is tempting but some like even if you do pirate it please buy it later or something so that they can still get that support I really enjoyed this series let, let me go put my money where my mouth is and, and go purchase this obviously uh, the uh, crowdsourcing payment does have its potential pitfalls as Sridhar writes but um, she says that these efforts may lead to more freedom from the stressful workday and more manga creator independence, which would be just a very real way that we as consumers can directly improve their lives. And um, Fanbox may very well lead the way for manga creators to just publish online or in smaller presses that have better business practices that are more ethical. And they don't have to rely on massive publishing companies with potentially exploitative attitudes. Mm -hmm. So given these thoughts, uh, from this article, we can possibly begin to properly contextualize Tagashi's experiences with Hunter Hunter specifically. Mm-hmm. You know, as dark as this thought is, um, I think that it's possible that if it were not for his success with Yu Yu Hakusho, mm-hmm. that he may not be with us today. Because I don't think that he may have had the clout to tell the publishing companies, hey, I need to take a break. And the success and of Hunter listen. Hunter could have potentially like caused him to die. Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, it's a very dark speculation, but it is really possible that, you know, he just had the clout to be like, I'm drawing this boundary. And the publisher had to be like, okay, okay. boss, whatever you say. Yeah, like- there's nothing we can do. Um, and I mean, also he had at this point, because... That, you know, mangakas all know each other. So it's like, oh, yeah, you want me to tell my buddy Oda about the way you're fucking treating me? And do you think that he's not going to be mad about it? Like, yeah. He, like, like... Do you think was, he's going to be happy if I fucking drop dead? Do, do you want One Piece to be mad at you? <laughs> <laughs> do you want to fight with One Piece? Do you want to be... Do you want to start a big fight with One Piece? Because I can make that happen. Yes. So... Whether known consciously or subconsciously, in conclusion, whether known consciously or subconsciously, Tagashi and his characters exemplify this incredibly harsh truth that real growth can only come from a place of self-preservation. And I say painful truth because I think we've all been in that place where Gone was, where it's like, this is so frustrating why can't i be stronger mm-hmm. why can't i have the level of output that i want to have why can't i consume things at the level i want to right like mm-hmm. falling short all the time in that harsh reality but it's a hard pill to swallow that real growth comes from self-preservation it actually doesn't come from moving forward sometimes and that's tough because then you have to fight against 
the feeling of staying in place, mm-hmm. which can be hard. It can be so, very difficult. Sometimes some of the some of the most difficult choices we have to make is to like sit and do nothing, which to me is a fate worse than death. For instance, <laughs> yes, exactly, because you're forced to face your emotional problems. <laughs> That's what Gone didn't do. So yes, growth is painful. There is a reason that we have terms like growing pains or phrases like cut your teeth, right? Mm-hmm. Like. It is really difficult to change your understanding of things and face the problems that keep you from becoming stronger. That's fucking hard. Like, I mean, that's why we have therapy. (laughs) And that is what, at the end of the day, though, while it is difficult and hard, it is the... It's what gives the heroes that we root for so much to overcome. Yes. Right? It is that challenge. It's that climb. That's what gives the heroes that we root for their reason, their motivation. And it's what gets athletes, artists, musicians, scientists, students all around the world. Anybody who makes or does anything. Yeah. Like, that's what gets us out of bed every day, right? And, you know, growth is not necessarily a grind the way that we've been trained to see it as it's in fact not really like that at all growth is more like maintenance what do we think of what is the most simple like image of growth that people use often i would say that it's a flower yeah or like you know like a blooming plant yeah and i feel like we should think more about that instead of thinking like of the whole rise and grind attitude Mm -hmm. when it comes to our personal growth. And if we are going to continue to liken that image of growth to a flower, that's kind of like our life is like a garden, right? And I don't want to sound too much like Joe Dirt here. I'm gonna. (laughs) But if we likened our lives to a garden, you know, it would be like if we only focused on getting stronger, it would literally be like if we only focused on growing flowers while we ignored all of the other problems that a garden has, like bugs and weeds, you know? And also you need to stop and smell the roses. Shut up. I can only You have to put up with me. Yeah, I can only do so many cliches in one episode (laughs) that we're reaching a terminal velocity here. So if we focused on only growing flowers instead of sprouting weeds, then... You know, no matter how big and beautiful the flowers are, they're going to eventually be choked out. No matter how much you take care of them, everything that goes on underneath the surface is going to suffocate them. We have to take the time in our own lives to stop watering the flowers for a fucking minute and pull the weeds. That's hard. And that's also a very, like, violent metaphor, right? Mm -hmm. Of, like, growing pains, pulling the weeds. Mm -hmm. It's tough. And the duality of passion that creators have is that ugly, violent grind, but the tender self-love and nurturing that we have to balance. We have to balance the grind and the self-love and nurturing. Because if we don't, then do we ever really master our craft? I will. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I'm telling you, I'm so smart. But if we don't master our own minds, then how can we really master our own craft? And if we don't, we will suffocate. We'll choke out. We will burn out. We will lose our dreams. We'll die. And 
that's just so much sadder than just never having had it at all you know mm-hmm. never having had the dream at all it would be so much worse and to more lose painful. it yeah yes you know the term burnout just evokes this image of something very fragile at the end of the day like a candle just fizzling out of existence you know and that flame can be a representation of so many different things in our lives you know like passion is a common one an occupation a family a generation a dynasty um i know that that's just kind of like general but going back to hunter hunter specifically i think that gone represents something really important even though he technically like if i'm being completely honest he's just not my favorite protagonist but he does represent something very important to me and in that regard he means a lot to me yeah and that's a reminder to sometimes cool my jets a little bit and by extension um you know being reminded of Tagashi and and his problems I think that it's great that Hunter Hunter's on hiatus and I hope that he takes all of the time he needs and that he enjoys his day-to-day life and that his health has improved drastically Mm -hmm. I would love to see the triumphant return after he has stopped suffering physically. Yeah. You know, I would, I, that I would... is something that as a consumer of his work, I would be more happy to see than him putting out another chapter. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's, that's my two cents on Hunter Hunter. And I want to leave everybody with another quote. That's and your two Jenny on Hunter it, Hunter. Wait, what? Your two Jenny. That's my two Jenny. <laughs> Shut up. You're welcome. Yeah, I remember the currency that they wow, used in Hunter Hunter. You're yes. welcome. Well, it's it's basically yen. It's yen. Yeah, ba- like um, in terms of. Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have a brain anymore. But I wanted to leave everybody with another quote, and this is by the entrepreneur Jim Rohn. And I am sorry, I'm quoting an entrepreneur, but he did have some nuggets of wisdom he had to overcome a broken clock is right twice a day a broken clock is right twice a day so true bestie mm. so the quote is the greatest gift that you can give somebody is your own personal development i used to say if you take care of me i will take care of you now i say i will take care of me for you if you take care of you for me And I think that's exactly how we should view our relationships to ourselves and other people and to the content creators that have inspired us and changed our lives so much. So that's my two cents. And I completely realized until this moment that I forgot to come up with a badly described anime. So I forgot about that. I I did too. But what I'm going to do... Um, since I'm doing so good at my job is I actually want to look up um, a definition of one from Netflix and I'll read it to you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So while you're doing that, I'm going to talk about like what our future plans are after this podcast. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you which can is, like, tell the them about exactly. um, so, our upcoming. So our current con schedule is kind of up in the air for the rest of the year, but for absolute sure, we are going to El Paso Con in yeah, less El Paso than a month. Comic Con, and that's going to be September 
10 to 12 in El Paso, Texas. It's at the convention center. I'm going back to my old stomping grounds. I'm going home, baby. I'm really excited. Yes, I, we're I gonna eat to that good ass food. I'm super excited. Come and see us if you are in that neck of the woods, my neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we will have free podcast swag. So definitely come by. Um, okay, that one gives So that's our con stuff that we're going to be doing. Um, remember, if you guys have any like uh, uh, questions or concerns, you can shoot them to our email, which is also listed on our socials. Um, we would uh, appreciate any anything, any correspondence or whatever. And as this podcast grows and changes, we would like to hear your stories about uh, how anime and manga and various other things uh, have changed your life or motivated you. I found a thread on Reddit. Ah. <laughs> Okay, this one, this is this one is very clearly Hunter Hunter, uh, but it's a, a young boy fights a clown, spiders, and other bugs to find his deadbeat dad. That <laughs> that rules. That is my uh, Reddit user Argarin two years ago. So. God bless. <laughs> Thank you so much, King. Here's one. Um, I don't. I've never watched this one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is from Reddit user Crotenis from two years ago. Mm-hmm. A vampire gets his mouth stapled by a crab. What? A, a vampire gets his mouth stapled by a crab. It has a lot of other. Oh, Bake, Bake Monogatari. You're correct. <laughs> no, I know. I know that I'm correct. <laughs> Good job. You're welcome. <laughs> nice. <laughs> wow, okay, so you fucking did it. See, you came back you came back triumphant. Yeah, that was a good one though. You're back, baby. That- You're back. Anyway, I think that that's pretty much all that we have to say that's for all this she wrote. episode. Uh, join us next week. We are going to be talking about Mob Psycho I, I am, I and am the rise so, of Post Shonen and I'm what it means. I'm so excited yes. for this. Um, I am like, I'm shaking. We are foaming at the mouth. This is out yeah. of pocket for me, man. Like, this is this is super important to me. I could write, I could teach a class on this. So, like, I'm well, ready to go. We're ready to, we're ready to learn. Yeah, 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 All right, yeah, yeah. that's it for the Shonen protagonist, Woo! the show that puts a little bit more Ganbaru into your life. And we will see you all next week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.